This is the Monitoring and Evaluation Boost with Godfrey Sincaba. Every week, we share tips and practical stories to help you master the monitoring and evaluation job and perform it to your best. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button so you're automatically updated about new episodes. And that way, you can continue to grow your M&E career every day. It also helps to show your support to this podcast and improve its ranking on the platform. We really appreciate that effort. Now, let's get started. Welcome everyone. Episode 7, Two-Way Evaluation-Led Civic Technology or Civic Tech, Tim Liesman's Promising Career Path Story. Today's guest is Tim Liesman. Tim is a community problem solver. He's a civic tech enthusiast and solution facilitator. Tim graduated from Guilford College in Greensboro with a dual bachelor's degree in peace and conflict studies and political science in 2013 and earned his MPA from the University of North Carolina in Greensboro in 2019. During that time, Tim worked as a research associate, program coordinator, and program evaluator at the Center for Creative Leadership while also volunteering with local nonprofits. These include Emerging Ecology, which he co-founded in 2013 with a local group of environmental education and participatory design experts, and Code for Greensboro, the local arm of the national civic tech organization called Code for America. Evaluation has played an important role in his civic work thus far and stands to be even more important going forward. Actually, this last bit is the actual reason why we have Tim today. Not just what he has accomplished, but also what he's optimistic about, where he's going, where he's taking his evaluation, and most importantly, how technology is connected to an evaluator's life and career. Tim, I thank you for honoring this invitation and agreeing to come to this podcast and share your story. How are you, Tim? Thank you so much, Godfrey. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm doing well. We're nearing the end of February 2021 here and uh, you know everyone is I wouldn't say anymore that we're settling into a new normal right we're uh, we're all riding the wave in various ways absolutely absolutely and Tim tell us about your background in community development and how did you get to be a practicing evaluator yeah thanks Godfrey so as you mentioned in the introduction I've worked in quite a few capacities in community development in my career so far from the front of the classroom facility facilitating programs for middle and high school students on anti-bias bigotry and racism, behind the scenes with programs for high-level corporate leaders, working with nonprofit and school leadership development trainings, and out on the streets knocking doors during election season. So many different capacities. And a lot of this has been working at the Center for Creative Leadership here in Greensboro. I started there as a program coordinator and got the opportunity to start helping play a role in the program evaluation process. And so these were for our social sector programs with education professionals, nonprofit leaders, and that sort of social sector folk. I came to be driven as much by my passion for helping to work with people on big problem solving as for how we know that our investment in that work is effective. And through a combination of working with some incredible people who served as mentors to me and pursuing that curiosity about how we know that the work is effective, I earned a position on the evaluation team. 
So I was promoted after a few years and got to play a much bigger role in our evaluations for organizations that we were working with, not just on the training evaluation, but also about corporate culture and organizational development. After a few years there, I left for more time to focus on the community development work independently. And I would say that as a practicing evaluator now, it's less that I have a career focused on evaluation than that evaluation is one of the most important tools in my toolkit for community development, along with project management and facilitation. Interesting. I've met several people who want to join monitoring and evaluation career, but have no formal training in evaluation. From what you've just described, I don't see that you did a formal evaluation training. So what do you have to say to people who want to join the monitoring and evaluation career, but have not done formal training in evaluation? So yeah, that's the case. And I would note that in the Master of Public Affairs program that I you know, earned my master's degree at UNC Greensboro, there is quantitative analysis and program evaluation course. But you're right, I don't have the technical evaluation degree. And actually, I became a program evaluator before I had earned that master's degree. And part of this is that the ability to follow the curiosity for me and for the people that I was working with was key to this journey. So asking the deeper questions about how we knew that what we're doing works, how people react to the training programs and how we respond and redevelop our approach based on that. And at some point, a mentor of mine came to me and said, you know, without even knowing it, you're asking evaluation questions and you're helping us to improve our program evaluation. We should formally work together. And I would say that so many skills outside of the academic world, so empathy, being able to talk to people well, explain concepts, whether it's from an electoral platform at the door while you're doing canvassing, to a group activity, to survey results, bringing that information from the place where it, you know, bringing that information into a more accessible um, presentation is one of the big abilities that that evaluators, effective evaluators use. Indeed, I can't agree with you more. I never did what you would call formal evaluation training by the time I started doing evaluation. I did social work for my bachelor's degree and a master's in social sector planning. Like you said, there are a number of transferable skills from these courses. And many times when we have the opportunity to practice that actually we learn the real evaluation and evaluation tasks. But with time, we get to learn that we may need to add several other trainings, whether formal or informal or working with the mentors and I like the way you have put it and this should motivate everybody listening who has never done an evaluation but either is currently in an evaluation job or plans to join an evaluation career. Tim, let's talk about your top career moments. What are the top two to three skills you have found every evaluator should have? So I would say that the the number one that I'm going to say is probably a little bit cliche, but it's, and I hear the collective groan from the audience as I say this, an understanding of research methods. And so a basic idea of experimental design and how we know that information we've collected is reliable and why it helps us to understand that 
something is successful. And then number two, I would say technical skills relevant to your area of focus or your specialization. And for some evaluators, this means the ability to rattle off statistical formulas and discuss probability and standard deviation very thoroughly. For others, this means being an excellent interviewer and a qualitative data specialist who can really draw out the core concepts that someone is trying to articulate in a way that's relevant to the area of focus. And so that's the second one is the, those technical skills, but I think those can differ from vocate, you know, different evaluation areas of specialty. And then finally, from outside of the evaluation world again, is the ability to look at things from a big picture. What questions to ask that we, what questions we need to answer to know that something has been successful and being able to understand how to collect that information and use the tools at hand, even if those are paper surveys or, you know, verbal interviews with notes on your cell phone. Tim, what is the biggest challenge working as an evaluator and how have you overcome it? Yeah, I would say that accessibility has been a major challenge that I've encountered as an evaluator and it needs to be at the forefront of our conversations around what evaluation means and, and how we practice it uh, in the 21st century. So I'll give you an example. We designed a survey working with a particular client and then as we were reviewing it, found that the students who were who that client was engaging with the, that we wanted to take this survey weren't actually going to be able to engage with it because the reading level of the questions is too high and in our you know academic focus on survey design it's ah oh, let's you know articulate this question very specifically and we might have to you know use a word that has a very specific definition in order to articulate that well that's actually going to make you know just understanding the question itself inaccessible to certain members of our population of the people we're trying to work with. And if we design tools to evaluate programs that are inaccessible, it will keep us from designing programs that are more accessible, from designing government services that are more accessible, which is why accessibility in evaluation is at the heart of making sure that we're serving those communities. Thank you. Tim, evaluators love tools. In fact, if you you talk to an evaluator and ask them, what's your favorite monitoring and evaluation tool? Offhead, they will tell you one, two, three. What is the most important tool or method you've used or you are using to improve your evaluation work? I mean, to me, absolutely. The basic survey is my favorite tool, my most important tool from survey design, writing questions effectively, and all of these things. You know, the buzzwords in evaluation lately and and data science, data scraping. There are very cool new things that we can do with technology. But ultimately, at the end of an engagement, we have a short survey that we'd like you to fill out. And we very much appreciate your time to give us honest feedback. Your responses will be confidential. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I, I really am an evangelist about the basic survey and supplementing it with, you know, rich qualitative data with numbers that we've scraped out of a data source or gotten out of a government database and network analysis. All those things are important. And we have new tools that allow us to do exciting things. But at the end of the day, a short survey is one of the most effective ways that I've found to engage with and gather honest opinions from many 
many people in a community. I agree. I remember early in my career when I was introduced to survey, uh, that really opened my world of opportunities. Quickly learned and became one of the sought-after evaluators or young evaluators within my organization just by understanding the power of surveying. Now, the pandemic, COVID-19, has taught us that as evaluators, we cannot live or thrive without technology. You earlier mentioned technology, and I would like you to speak more about that. What does technology mean to you? And how have you used technology to improve your evaluation work? Yeah, this is a big question right now, Godfrey. And I'd say technology helps to facilitate evaluation. And whether it's advanced analytics or even, I mean, doing interviews over Zoom meetings, right? and we've been using Zoom more and more in the pandemic, that allows us to reach people who really have not been able to contribute their voices to a study before. And so just recently, you know, I'm involved in a project with a local group building a progressive political platform. And at one time, it would be we're filling out surveys and canvassing people going to public places and, you know, with a clipboard to fill in responses to a survey. And now we're able to send a survey out, you know, on Google Forms that's free to develop, collaboratively edit it with a team of volunteers. We can reach people who need to stay in their homes for safety reasons to interview them and record that interview by using a video platform. And now people, not just because of the pandemic, have not always been able to leave their homes, whether it's due to some sort of illness or disability. And now we have tools and we all are commonly using these tools and have free access to them that allow us to reach people who may not be able to leave their homes, who allow that allow us to reach people on the other side of the world and include their voices. And so I'd say that's one way in which technology helps to facilitate evaluation. Now, there's, of course, another element to that, which is that we can run new types of analyses using just our laptop that at one time would have taken advanced software and access to processing power to, to be able to use. Now one can download our studio and work on learning, you know, learning how to use that code and run advanced analytics without a degree, as you pointed out before. And of course, in some ways, a, a good and a bad thing. So that helps to facilitate evaluation and analysis. And it can mean that we focus in on these new tools that we have and forget about an effective research design and the methods that surround those tools. And an impressive analysis is only worth as much as we know that that analysis is right and that it's relevant to the question we're trying to answer. So an impressive analysis is only worth as much as the research methods that support it as the design that allows us to fit that analysis into a problem-solving effort and understand why those figures that we might you know, pull out of, a, of an analytical model are actually relevant for answering a question that our our community or our clients are focused on. And for me, this also involves an aspect of ensuring that the communities we're working with are involved in the evaluation from the design to the reporting. And so I work with an organization called Code for Greensboro. I'm one of the co-leaders and we work on community problems and ensure that when we're collecting information about them, looking at approaches, we're working with partners from the community to 
understand why those problems are relevant and why the approaches that we'll take are actually answering the questions or providing new services that are important to them. Thank you. Talking about civic tech, I found the following quotes on the website for the Code for Greensboro. The Omidia Network defines their meaning of civic tech as technologies that are developed to enhance the relationship between people and government by giving people more of a voice to participate in public decision making and all to improve the delivery of services, usually by government to people, these technologies that they are talking about. And what has been your experience using them to address problems in Greensboro, North Carolina? Yeah. So, you know, these can be technologies of participation or of design and user experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be information communication technology, although often this work involves things like app development. One of my favorite examples, though, of what I think civic tech work is all about is in Greensboro, we use this process of journey mapping in order to map out the county's expungement process. So we found that people who are eligible to have their record cleared. Maybe there's a felony on their record, but they were found not guilty. The state actually doesn't automatically remove that. In applying for and trying to get the expungement, there are many barriers set up, and uh, not least of which it's different from county to county. And we created a whole journey map that showed what the requirements are, how one applies, and what the pain points in that process are. Soon after that, the North Carolina General Assembly introduced legislation actually to streamline expungements with a statewide process not necessarily because of advocacy related to our work, but our work revealed similar problems to what they already were trying to solve and contributed to the clamor of voices calling for solving those problems. And then in another way, you know, we built an app called GSO to help facilitate people voting. So a web app where you could go check your registration status, look up your polling place, ask questions about what to expect when you got there, that sort of thing. So civic tech can involve involve either of those, you know, a high touch approach that doesn't necessarily involve programming, like journey mapping the expungement process, or something that involves app development, like building a building a voter app. Another community problem we're going to look at is food insecurity. So for instance, is there a need in the community for something like a map that we might develop that shows people where they can get free meal in the summer, especially when uh, the school systems aren't offering free and reduced lunch to students. So that's the type of thing that we're involved in when we say civic tech work. the example you gave on applying tech to projects like the expungement of criminal records. I'm curious to know how your work interfaced with the priorities of government. For the city of Greensboro, or broadly, the state of North Carolina, how do government technical and or elected officials perceive evaluation or generally evaluative work? You know who likes evaluation is government technocrats and who doesn't is elected officials. (laughs) Um, And I say that uh, because just recently, the North Carolina General Assembly actually, and this this is a legislative decision, the elected officials made the decision to close the program evaluation division of the North Carolina General Assembly and instead to conduct evaluations of policy with bipartisan committees involving the legislature. And in my opinion, this is a really bad idea. This is a group of, you, you might say technocrats, right, but highly qualified expert professionals in evaluation 
who were conducting work looking at COVID-19 relief program spending in the state, highway and road tax usage, things that would really help the government to make more effective decisions. So in my opinion, in, so from my perspective, data evaluation, their role in government and governance is to help make more effective public policy decisions. But if they reveal things through a program or policy evaluation, if a program or policy evaluation reveals things that an elected official finds it hard to deal with, maybe a policy that they championed isn't performing as well, that makes that elected official turn against the evaluation in some cases. And I wish that weren't the case. Everyone who is elected should want to serve their communities as effectively as possible. And that should mean robust program and policy evaluation. Give people in our line of work more jobs in the government. Thank you. Tim, one of the first encounters we had with you, you described yourself as an emerging evaluator. So far, what I've listened to you say is good. It seemed to me you've really had a lot of time to do evaluative work. Now, I'm interested, as well as what my audience would want to hear from you, what are your key learnings? What have you learned to date and where are you going? Yeah, so I've been doing this work nearly four years formally now. And um, in that time, I've got to have a lot of rewarding and rich experiences pursuing evaluation. And I would say that a foremost learning, which I hope applies across many different sectors, right, is seeking out peers and mentors to exchange and learn and grow with. Learning happens best together collaboratively. And um, I wouldn't be where I am today without the graduate students and new evaluators network, the topical interest group as part of the American Evaluation Association. And I was so grateful to get the chance to serve as the program chair for that group several years ago and hand it off to more incredible young and emerging evaluators. So seeking mentors, learning together with yours, that's the way to develop these skills and, and have fun doing it. I would say another one of my core learnings comes back to this point about accessibility and that for me, learning to use a new tool, for instance, at one one point I'm, I was thinking about uh, when I I was focused so much on using that specific new technology. I was actually neglecting or forgetting to focus on the community that I was serving. And so when we focus too much on technology, we tend to exclude the design being centered around accessibility and understanding people's experiences and helping to improve that experience. Thank you. Thank you. In fact, uh, my last episode was recorded with Karil Bita, who is the chair of the Global Youth Network. He also mentioned, alluded to what you've just said, as a young and emerging evaluator, the importance of finding a mentor to help you grow in your career, which you've mentioned, and also giving up leadership. I mean, setting up an organization, helping it stabilize, and then passing on power to another team. So thank you in that regard. Now, as we end this podcast, tell us your big line. Where can we expect to find you in the next 
five or 10 years? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, some of it is a little bit uncertain when we look uh, five or 10 years out. But what I hope to be doing, let's say in the next year, is working with a group or groups in Greensboro that are trying to understand civic data. And by that, I mean data about civic experience and what the community in Greensboro is experiencing. So we might, there's an initiative to develop indicators of community health and wellness, economic vibrancy. And I've been involved in some early conversations around that work. And I hope to help then use those indicators, right? Be involved in the evaluation and research process that provides them, that scrapes the data together and and provides it. And then also bringing it into neighborhood development work, bringing it into community development in Greensboro. And so whether it's through working with the local governments or working on a neighborhood development program with uh, my nonprofit organization, that's what I hope to build on in the next year and then continue to grow work like that, solving problems in communities and helping groups of people understand how to take action on them. Indeed. And if there is anything we can do to continue supporting you, please let us know. I think you're on a good path, particularly balancing your technical skills as well as service to community. Many times as evaluators, we lose out on that. Uh, the big picture of our work, you've talked about evaluation, especially tech, using technology to improve community or solve community problems. I love that. And also using evaluation to champion people's needs and how you engage government. I'm really very sorry that you talked about the North Carolina uh, government, I mean, the elected politicians uh, scrapping the evaluation program. Yeah, that championing. was a yeah. bad decision. <laughs> that is so sad. That's, uh, yeah, hopefully yeah, you and others with like minds can come together and still provide evidence that evaluation is still useful to government in that regard. Now, Tim, for all the plans you've talked about, many people might want to get in touch and support you, whether primarily living in Greensboro or anywhere else, those who have listened to this podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Leisman, T-I-M-L-E-I-S-M-A-N, or email me, Tim, at codeforgreensboro.org. Fine, thank you so much, Tim. Any last words? Yeah, you mentioned, um, is there anything that, that you can do to help support? And I would say, um, keep making amazing episodes that help to bring a boost to the monitoring and evaluation community. It's uh, really great work that you're involved in and I hope that you carry it forward and I'll be listening eagerly. Thank you so much, Tim, for your time, for your time, especially during this time. I know people are so busy, but you sitting with us to share your own experience is amazing and is a blessing. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, everyone. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Monitoring and Evaluation Boost with Godfrey Senkaba. Please let us know your comments or any topics you would like to hear. And please check out our website, www.mandeboost.com. If you have comments about this episode or experiences you would like to share regarding the ideas discussed in this podcast, please let us know. Again, please visit our website to share. That's www.mandeboost.com. Thank you.